Okay, amazing. There we go. Let's try again. <laughs> we love this church. Uh, really excited for this morning. So I get the privilege of introducing and doing a bit of a framing sermon for a series we're diving into for the next seven weeks, starting today. Uh, we'll have one gap, on, uh, which is actually next week, and then we'll hit another six weeks. And uh, we're diving back into the book of Ephesians. If you've been around the life of One Hope for a while, you'll know that, or you might know, I found out today, that exactly two years ago, on this exact weekend, we started our sermon series in Ephesians in Charles and Lorette's lounge in COVID times up in uh, Paradise Cliff. So <laughs> we continue. We had the optimistic hope that we would be done with the super series uh, within a year and a few months. It's now two years later, and we still got two parts to go. So <laughs> this is part four, and then we'll do part five. I'm not going to promise any dates sometime in the future. Whenever the Lord says we must preach it. <laughs> so really excited to dive in uh, to Ephesians again, and uh, we'll be kind of in the second half. And actually, what's beautiful about this part is it's, um, yeah, it's specifically speaking into human relationships. So Paul, the apostle, does this wonderful, gives us this wonderful gift of helping us figure out what it looks like to live out the faith, live out the gospel in our daily lives, in our closest human relationships, which is a great joy. So what I'll do this morning, just for a brief overview, is I'll quickly look back at what we've covered in the sermon, so, uh, the sermon series so far, because it has been two years. I don't expect you to remember. Then we'll look forward to what's going to happen in this series, the next seven weeks, and then we'll dive into this morning. So I'm going to do my very best to keep it tight and brief so we don't go on forever. But um, that's just a little bit of a look into where we're going this morning. Uh, so it was exactly 18 years ago, 2005. I was in high school in Cape Town, and uh, my brother invited myself and a friend to come just up the road here to Kutzenberg Center to a church gathering. And um, what I didn't know is that the Bates, who walked into that hall that evening, would not be the same Bates who walked out of that hall two hours later on a cool April evening just up the road. It changed my life forever and irrevocably changed the way that I relate to everyone around me. Fundamentally changed it. I'm going to dive into that story a bit more in a moment, so that was just a little teaser. Uh, let's look back quickly at the Ephesians series, where we've come from so far. We've got a lovely stitched together like banner thing, which should come up, I hope. There it is. So nice. And um, so we started uh, yeah, a long time ago in uh, our first part, which is in Christ. And we looked at the context of Ephesians. So we know that it's written by a guy called Paul. He's an apostle. He wrote from prison. So he was in prison for the sake of the gospel. And he wrote to this wonderful uh, church in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesus, sorry, which is a, was a quite a significant city at the time in modern-day Turkey. Wonderful thing about the Bible is it's not just some fairy tale. It's actually written by actual people with actual pens and papers to an actual people who are part of a church. And so this is historic stuff that we're reading here, reliable historic stuff, which is amazing. And uh, Paul, in his six chapters to the Ephesians, basically does two big things, right? First half, chapters one through three, he explains the gospel story, unpacks the gospel story, the good news of Jesus to us. And then in the second half, he basically unpacks how this gospel story should shape every area of our story. So he looks at the gospel story, chapters 1, 2, 3, and then chapters 4 through 6 looks at how the gospel story impacts our story. So those are kind of the two big ideas. 
We started off two years ago speaking about in Christ, Ephesians 1 through 2, looking at some of the, the um, context of the book and the powerful truth of what it looks like and what it means to be in Christ. It's uh, quite an amazing thing I learned uh, just a few years ago that actually the Bible references more us being in Christ, like almost being, I imagine this like big Christ and us almost being like enveloped into him, than it does him being in us, which is really interesting, right? So often we say Jesus is in me, but actually the scriptures more, more frequently talk about us being enveloped in Christ. And what a beautiful image. And thank you, Jesus, that when we follow him, that is our truth, uh, the reality of who we are. Highlight for me from that sermon series, there were eight sermons, was actually on the very first one where the economy at the time in Ephesus, there was a whole lot of silversmiths, guys who made things out of silver. And in fact, they started going out of business when the gospel came into town because they would make little idols to their god Artemis. And now that people weren't worshipping Artemis anymore and worshipping Jesus, these guys were running out of business. And the one guy actually got so upset, he started a whole revolt against the gospel. So it's just amazing when a gospel takes root in a people and in a time, it can literally affect the economic environment uh, in, a, in a town. And just amazing what the gospel did in this town in that time. Uh, then we moved on to the second part, uh, which was the church has a future. So in Christ, the church has a future, basically unpacking that Christians, when they're in Christ and they're in the church, the church then has a future. It's kind of a logical progression. Um, highlight for me there was, uh, and we're actually going to unpack it a bit more this morning, is uh, where Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, between Jews and everyone else, not just the Gentiles who were there at the time, Gentiles being non-Jews. Uh, so we'll unpack that, so I'll leave that for a minute, but that really stood out to me. Just that imagery of like, breaking down a wall. I just imagine this massive wall and people on either side and these people have access to God and those don't and, and they hate one another and they just sling like m horrible things and bombs over the walls to each other and God just poof, smashing that wall so that they can relate and be friends and connect with him. Okay, then the third part of the series was Walk This Way. Uh, that is there, yeah, and we're going to then transition into the fourth part, which is Walk This Way into Healthy Relationships. But basically, in Walk This Way, we then made a transition. Okay, here's the gospel this is what it is. How does it actually impact our daily lives? And in the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us some wonderful um, directives as to how it should influence our daily lives. A uh, highlight for me from that sermon series was, it was actually one that I preached, <laughs> but it just stood out to me so much. It was, <laughs> yes, come on. Uh, anyone I actually listened to, now I'm joking. I listened to all of them. Um, but it was, be who you are. And I just, that one line has stuck out to me so much that your status as a child of God, that means that it should influence every part of our lives. We should live as children because we are children. So just because our status is we are a child, you know, we're not, we um, should live as unto the Father and not just our, live our own lives. And so we transition this morning then into Ephesians uh, uh, the fourth part, which we've called Walk This Way into Healthy Relationships, we'll be specifically focusing on chapter 5, 21 to 6, 9. And it kind of unpacks four key relationships, human relationships. And then what we've decided to do is, uh, is kind of join on another two at the end. I'll tell you why in a moment. So what are we going to be doing in this series? We're really going to be painting a high view of 
relationships and how God intended them to be intentionally. We're going to paint a high view, this kind of, in some ways you might say, idealistic view of how God intended relationships to be. But we're not only going to do that, we're also going to look to give really practical handles of what it looks like to live out uh, godly relationships, friendships, marriage, work uh, relationships, fr- um, uh, dating, and all these things. So we're going to look to be quite practical as well as really painting the picture that God puts before us in the scriptures. Uh, and just by the way, uh, I don't know about you, but I think just about everyone I know is interested in having healthier, better relationships with those people around them. And so it's a great series to invite people, friends, family, colleagues, whoever you would think, to come and uh, listen in and see how far or close whoever that might be is to God. I think this series will still be, really, uh, will still be helpful and will still be engaging to whoever you might thing to invite to each of the sermons. So what will, we be, what will we be covering? Today we'll look at relationship with God, and then we'll go talk to husbands and talk about husbanding. Then we'll go to wives and we'll talk about being a, a good wife. Then we'll um, look at parenting and parents. Uh, we'll look at workplace relationships. And that's actually as far as Paul in this specific part of the scripture goes. And then we're going to add on two extra because they're really important in each of our lives. Well, in some of our lives, if not all of our lives at some point. And Ephesians has a lot to say to these extra two we're going to add on. They are dating and singleness. So we'll address those two as well. And that will then close our uh, series. So that's the next uh, seven weeks, what we have ahead of us, which is really exciting. This morning, I'm going to dive into the first one, which is relationship with God. And I'm really looking forward to unpacking this a little bit and then actually applying it a little bit uh, towards the end. So let's start with a few questions. I always find questions helpful in engaging my heart, at least, and my mind. So, hey, is this topic even relevant to me, relationship with God? I mean, could you have a more general topic or a title ever? Sorry about that. Very uncreative. But I just went with it because that's what we're going to be speaking to. Have you ever heard or thought of some of these questions? I think they'll come up. How do I know she is the right one for me? How do I know he's the right one for me? How do I honor my parents when they're so (laughs) old-fashioned? How do I love my husband when he can be such a fill-in-the-gap sometimes? What did I say? Chop. It's a nice word. Could just be something you eat or anything. Okay. How do I get my children to open up and speak to me? That's a big one. Parents, especially as they get older. How do I respect my boss when she or he doesn't respect me? Ever ever asked these questions? Ever thought of these questions? Anyone ever asked you these questions? I don't think any of us in the room is exempt from these, and there are more. There are certainly more. So every day we have the joy of navigating the nuances and the subtleties that come with human relationships. With any human relationships we have, none of us live in a hole in the ground somewhere, otherwise you wouldn't be here this morning. So all of us do have active human relationships which we're engaged in, and they are wonderful things, sometimes difficult, but wonderful. And from the day we're born to the day we die, we're actually dependent on human relationships. And because the way God's made each of us, we're also innately drawn to build relationships and to grow relationships. No matter how much we may have been hurt in the past, we still have this deep desire to have healthy, life-giving, meaningful relationships. It's just the way God's made us. 
And in spite of that, um, none of us are excluded from battling the kind of ambiguity and the interestingness of relating with our fellow compatriots that we get to do life with and walk life with. But let me just start, and uh, this is how we'll transition to this morning's topic. The starting point in all of this, the starting point can never be what can be, but it shouldn't be the nitty-gritties of our horizontal relationships, the nitty-gritties of unpacking how we relate to one another. It always needs to start with our vertical relationship between God and us. Not just between me and people. If it starts there, it just ends up messy. But if it starts between me and God vertically, that has a huge impact horizontally if we'll engage with God first. So back to my opening story. Why did the Bates who walked into the Kutzenberg Center just up the road here in April 2005, why did he walk out two hours later a different man? Because on that evening, I entered into a right relationship with God. My life with God began, and in the words of Ephesians 1, I walked in a man who was not in Christ, and I walked out a man who was now in Christ. And from that moment onwards, a growing relationship with God has fundamentally and undeniably influenced every human relationship I've had since then. And mostly in the positive, positive direction, I hope. <laughs> Talk to the people who know me. I hope so. But it has fundamentally, that I cannot deny, it has fundamentally influenced how I relate to people. And so kind of the key take-home from this morning and the one-liner is healthy human relationships depend upon a healthy heavenly relationship. Healthy human relationships, horizontal relationships, depend upon a healthy heavenly relationship, vertical relationship to God. I'm just aware of the time. How are we doing? Okay, now we're good. In Bible times, there were two groups of people. Uh, we mentioned them earlier, the Jews and the Gentiles that are quite prominent, in, especially in the New Testament scriptures. And uh, they hated one another passionately hated one another. Think Jews and Nazis in World War II, that sort of level. Think some of our ugly history in South Africa, that sort of level between people with different color skin. They passionately hated one another. There were many reasons for it. There was distrust and division between them and it ran deep and it had a long history. It wasn't something that just happened overnight. Someone did something horrible and, oh, now we don't like each other. It was a long, historic, multi-generational, deep distrust and hatred between the two groups of people. It's really hard to unpack it without you being there, but maybe you have some relationships that you know of that are like that. Deep division. We could never see eye to eye. That's the kind of hatred there was between Jews and Gentiles at the time. Someone who lived there would certainly have said there is absolutely no possible way that these two groups of people, in fact, massive, well, the Jewish nation was a rather millions large at the time, a large nation surrounded by many other nations, which are generally just called the Gentiles. There's no way they could see eye to eye. In fact, there's no way they could be called friends of one another and call one another friends. And yet Paul here in Ephesians, in the passage we'll unpack today, he tells them and he tells us how this relational impossibility actually becomes possible. So let's turn to Ephesians, or you can just look, follow on the screen, or if you want to open a Bible. We're going to just cover four verses today, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, and verse 13 to 16. I'm going to be in the NIV. Sorry, that's my, my mistake. It's not the NLT, it's the NIV. 
which is the New International Version for those who are not so familiar with the Bible. Many English translations, many good ones. These are two of them, the NLT and the New International Version. Okay, so from verse 13, Paul writes, he says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made the two groups into one and who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So what are these four verses saying? Well, in summary, what they're saying is that because of Jesus, Jesus made a way for us to be reunited back to one another, to be reunited firstly to relationship with God and then to relationship with one another. Because of the cross, because of his death and resurrection, we can be reconciled into healthy relationships with one another. It's basically what these four verses are saying. And there's a whole bunch before it and after it, of course. But this is just wonderfully captured in these four. And so the big idea here, and I kind of emphasized it just before we read the scripture, is that the most deeply broken, damaged, difficult relationships in our lives, ones that seem inimaginably beyond repair, can be reconciled and restored. The disclaimer, only through the reconciling and restoring work of God in us and then through us and between us with those others. And some of those relationships, I, I think even as we sit here, you might be thinking of some of them. It's painful even to think of them. In fact, we don't even want to think of some of those relationships. And the wonderful, incredible truth that Paul shares with us is that God can do miracles <laughs> in relationships in ways that we cannot imagine. What that looks like will be different for each one of us, but the truth is there's hope for every relationship. And that's not just for those who have broken and difficult relationships. If you've got, if you're that rare bird who has like phenomenal relationships, everything is thriving. It's like off the charts. Either you're just not in reality or that might be true. That would be cool. I uh, hope that is the case. If that is the case, those relationships, honestly, they can be even sweeter when we're deeply, more deeply connected to God and then living through that to others, which is like just this wonderful promise. And so when we live like that, just Christian churches like ours, the small one, we can have genuinely flourishing, incredible relationships, despite all of our own sinfulness and brokenness. And that's a wonderful thing that God's in our midst. So whatever we come from, wherever we go, whatever we've done, we can see thriving community. And I do want to say that many people who walk into these doors experience some of that love, that genuine love that sits in this room. And I get to hear that through our... Um, exploring membership process, get to do some of the coffees with the people. And almost every single person will say, when I came into the Sunday space, I just felt genuine, authentic love and welcoming. So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's what we get to experience in Christ. And that's just I want to congratulate and honor each of you in the room for desiring and seeking loving relationships with one another, as Jesus calls us to. And so healthy human relationships really do depend upon a healthy heavenly relationship. You may be asking the question, but how do we enter into healthy 
heavenly relationship? How do we be made right with God? How do we connect with Him? And Paul in Ephesians 2.13 helps us with that. So let's have a look there. He says this. I'm just going to read it again. We read it earlier. But now, in Christ, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you're looking into Christianity or new to church or whatever, like these are some weird terms, eh? <laughs> blood of Christ. What does that even mean? Uh, if you've been in church a while, you just kind of default auto mode. Okay, cool. We know what that means. We move on. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. The Jews were far away, far away from God, and God came and he brought the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to them. And he's done the same to us, and he does this to us this morning, whether we're close to him or whether we're far off. He comes and he brings this wonderful truth to us this morning through the scriptures. A Christian who is brought near, as Paul says here, who's been brought near to God, has access to God. Is conscious of his presence, hears, God hears his prayers, and the Christian experiences and knows the love of God, the perfect love of God. And so if you're not near to God this morning, how can you experience the same love and presence and power and access? I just want to say that it's really not by anything that you are or that you've done or you haven't done. It's not even by Jesus' teachings that you are brought near to him. But as Paul said in Ephesians, it's by the blood of Jesus that you can be cleared of your sin, that you can be, your conscience can be made clean. When you go to bed at night, you can rest easily with your conscience clear. You can enter into a right relationship. Even, to, even today, I'm going to make an opportunity in a minute. If you want to enter into a right relationship with Jesus, we're going to pray a prayer in just a moment, if that's you. And you have the opportunity to enter into a right, loving relationship with Jesus this morning. His death, which is that blood thing, right? If you're wondering what we mean, it means Jesus died on the cross. He bled. His blood, his death and his resurrection 2,000 years ago for us all makes it possible for us to be brought near to God, to be made right with him, to come home to him and to be called his no matter who you are. Right now, you might be feeling like you're just disqualifying yourself because of how you look, how you feel, because of how much money you have or don't have, because how special you are or aren't are, because of how broken or beautiful your relationship are. Let me just say this. Every one of us sitting here has equal access to God because of Jesus and through Jesus. This is a wonderful truth. Christian, as you're sitting here this morning, let this never get familiar with this beautiful truth. May it just be a deep, beautiful thing that just fills our hearts with joy and abundance every morning as we awake. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for me to know you and the Father. Ephesians 1 references God's great master plan, and it says this. It says um, that God is bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. His great plan is to reunite all things to himself. That's all things and that's all people to himself. That's God's design and tension. And that's what he's made available through the cross. It includes you and it includes me. And so towards the end of the sermon, I'm going to make an opportunity. If you want to respond to this invitation from God to you today, 
to come into right relationship with him. I'm going to pray with you at the end of this morning. In this world we live in, um, I think we can all agree that there are wonderful, many wonderful good things. And many of these wonderful good things have been tainted or stained by the devil. They've been made horrible, many of them. Not entirely, but many parts of them. And so because of sin, we see a lot of relational breakup uh, in our lives, in other people's lives. And so really the first thing we need to do, as I mentioned earlier, is first look at God, the one who exists in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the one who created relationships. He knows what he's doing, right? He's got the power, he's got the purpose, he's got the plan to figure out what good, healthy, thriving relationships look like. And so we need to reach out to him first before we reach out to anyone else if we want to see our, our human relationships thriving. To say it another way, our relationships with others reflect on our relationship with God. Our relationships with others reflect on our relationship with God. I want to let that settle for a moment. How are your relationships doing with others? Maybe it's with parents, with colleagues, with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends in class, with your siblings. How are they doing? This is not a moment of condemnation. This is a moment of reflection to say, wow, either they, man, that's amazing, or man, these things can be better and they can be sweeter if I can engage with the Father look to him first. So let's dive into healthy human relationships then. So we looked at a healthy heavenly relationship, healthy human relationships, coming, uh, speaking from Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. For he himself is our peace who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law which with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Paul says here, he himself is our peace. This is not just some cushy, sentimental thing. This is a bold, strong proclamation from Paul. He's not saying, hey man, easy life with God, you know, reconcile to God, peace, it's easy, it's going to be sweet. No, he's saying peace is reconciliation to God. Peace comes from reconciliation to God. And that peace then brings us inner peace. It lets our conscience be at peace. It lets us be at peace with ourselves, which then overflows into relationships that can be full of peace and not hostility and conflict and tension all the time. Paul goes on to say that Jesus destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles between two people who passionately hated one another. A great example of how God, when he steps in, relationships change and they can be made healthy. And let me quickly reference, just because it's a little bit of a geeky, nerdy thing, and I, I like doing that sort of thing with the scriptures sometimes. But uh, around the temple at the time, there was actually a physical separation around the temple, that's where the Jews came to worship and connect with God and where God was present. There was a physical separation wall beyond which those who weren't Jews could not come. In other words, the Gentiles. 
And so Paul uses this wonderful metaphorical image that all those of his listeners would have understood. It's as if God's gone and broken down that dividing wall that separated Gentiles from being able to come to God and separated Jews from Gentiles. And now all are welcome to come and be with God and be made right with him and be connected to him, as the scripture references here, in one body, which means the church. We can all be welcome to him and be part of his church. A right relating to God results in a right relating to others. But in the same way, a dysfunctional relating to God results in a dysfunctional relating to others. Let's use a marriage example for a minute. We're going to apply these things very directly in just a moment. Let's use a marriage example for just a minute. If we expect God, if I expect God, (laughs) to pander to my needs, what do you think I'm going to expect from my wife? Anyone got the answer? I'm going to expect her to pander to my needs, right? Direct correlation. Healthy relating to God results in healthy relating to others. Sarah and Petey, do you guys mind being a, a volunteers for me this morning? And then Ryan, can you come up? Okay, you guys can just come stand here. We're going to do a quick little illustration, which I'm hoping will really stick in your minds. You can just stay there for a minute. You guys can stand here. And this really solidified this idea for me in my mind. One of my friends in Secunda shared it with me. That was a long time ago, eight, nine years ago, and I still remember it vividly. He didn't quite do it exactly this way, but pretty much what we're going to do today. You guys don't know what you've signed up for, right? I don't ask your permission. You don't read your messages. So not my fault. I thought I'd have more chance with Petey than with Sarah, but clearly <laughs> you guys are married or something. It's rubbing off on each other. And um, Okay, let me quickly explain this for a minute. These two, are, they are actually married, and they're going to be playing the role of a married couple in this illustration. Ryan, because he's tall and massive and an awesome guy, is going to be playing the role of Jesus. He's not Jesus but he's going to be playing the role of Jesus for the sake of the illustration. It's not perfect, but I hope it'll help. Okay, can you guys just stand like over here and then just put your arms around one another? Just one arm like that. There we go. Perfect. Okay, so we've got Sarah and Petey over here. (laughs) And they're journeying through life together. Uh, They're married. And um, uh, it's all rosy and wonderful. They've been married for a month, two months, one month. Um... They're journeying through life together, and um, they're looking at each other, and it's all happy. You can look at one another, you know, and all the things. And then this moment comes where um, PD expresses a desire to his wife, some deep need that he has that he needs to be fulfilled. And Sarah's like, what are you on about, me? What is the story? She doesn't say that, but she's thinking that. And so, um, in this moment, what's happening here is that Petey is expressing a deep felt need that he has to his wife, which she is not able to fulfill. And so what happens? Disappointment. What happens? A weight and burden gets put on Sarah that she cannot actually bear. And it actually starts to become crushing over time. Because these deep needs that Petey has cannot be fulfilled. And it's the same both ways. Sarah has these deep needs. She'll express them. And Petey's like, and the truth is he's not able to, and he shouldn't even be able to fulfill those deep needs. 
And so they're journeying through life, and then some stormy things start happening. You know, life gets a bit hectic. Are you guys wearing the same shoes? That is very cute. <laughs> wow. Were they, were they wedding gifts? Or? <laughs> that is very, very... Sure. We should get the same shoes. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. Um, so, they, so, you know, some stormy things start happening. Life starts getting hard. Who are they going to cling to? to try and help one another in these hard times, right? Some hectic thing happens. I don't want to mention anything. So who are they going to cling to? They're going to cling to one another. And what's going to happen? They're going to end up drowning one another. That's what's going to happen. Because life gets hectic. And that's what's going to happen. In steps Ryan. Ryan, can you come and stand right in between them over here? <laughs> I'm trying to help you here, bro. Okay, stay here. Okay, now you guys can put a arm, one arm over him each, like that. Just gently. <laughs> you have to embrace Jesus. <laughs> okay, Ryan. The reason I chose you is he's so torn. You'd be a good obstacle between them. Okay. So in steps Ryan. He's playing the role of Jesus. And they've both embraced him. And they love him. He's their, he, not Ryan. Love Jesus. Jesus is their primary relationship. Their primary love relationship. For these two, I know that is true. And so actually... As these two journey through life, what it actually looks like is not them holding shoulder to shoulder. It's actually them holding onto Jesus both and walking together through life like this. And so when um, Sarah now expresses her deepest felt needs to Petey, the wonderful thing is Jesus stands in the gap. And so what she can do is actually look at Petey through the lens of Jesus and see, oh, wait, this is a, a, a need that actually Petey doesn't need to meet. Jesus needs to meet this need in me at a deep level. And he may, by his grace, use this wonderful man to help that happen in some way. But not because he's meeting it, but because Jesus is meeting it. Stop overacting here, bro. You're killing my story. <laughs> and the wonderful thing is what happens there, and it's both ways, Petey is then freed from the burden of undue expectation that his wife, who has needs, just like all of us, would want to put on him because Jesus can carry those burdens. It doesn't mean he does nothing. He also needs to look to Jesus and listen so that when Jesus does speak to him, he can actually come and step in a gap and pray for his wife or fill some need that Jesus, by his wonderful grace, would choose to use Petey to fill in Sarah. But what's happening here is they're not clinging to one another and looking to one another to fill these needs that each of them just cannot meet. And the wonderful thing here as well is now when Petey looks at Sarah, he's looking through the lens of Jesus. And so what he actually sees is how Jesus views Sarah. And so in all her pain and in all her brokenness and all these things, Petey's heart is filled with love and compassion because Jesus' heart is filled with love and compassion towards his wife. And so he can love her way better in the state that she's at and both ways because he's looking through the lens of Jesus. He's in the middle. The vertical relationship is healthy, so the horizontal can be strong and healthy. And the amazing thing here is Jesus also acts like a mirror, right? And so when you guys look at him, you actually see a reflection of yourself, and Jesus does this in our relationship, and he actually starts to change us, despite what our spouse might do. And so we start to become nicer people, Better versions of ourselves, And praise God, says Petey, because Sarah, I don't know, she, Jesus is dealing with her, and she now becomes a more beautiful, wonderful woman 
because of this relationship. And so I get to have a stronger marriage, married to a woman who's more whole and full of love and kindness and compassion being formed in Jesus because she's not looking to me first, she's looking to Jesus first. Let me do one last thing with this illustration. It's not perfect, but I hope you remember it. When my relationship with Jesus is weak, what happens then? This is what happens. I try and step around him, and now I'm looking at my spouse again, and I'm not looking at Jesus. And what happens? Then I hold on like this. And I put this undue weight on, on, my, on my spouse. Okay, go back around. So that's what happens when the relationship is not healthy and thriving. We then try and step around Jesus and then hold on to one another. That's the way we should have done it. It's actually Jesus holding on to us, not the other way. <laughs> that's more publicly correct. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. And then this is, this is a big one, and I don't know if this is a, needs to speak to someone in the room today. Pity, come stand over here, please, on the side. So leave Ryan there. Sarah, you hold there. Yeah. What happens when only one spouse is clinging onto Jesus? What happens then? You don't need to answer this. Okay, I'm just going to leave it there. You can make of it what you want. But I think this picture maybe needs to speak to someone in the room today or someone who's watching online. Thanks, Kat, so you can go grab a seat. That was very good. Just give them a hand. Come on. <laughs> and the same principle, as much as we did it with a husband and wife this morning, applies to all our relationships, all of them, in different ways. Because in every relationship, there's needs that we're seeking to have met or love we're seeking to give to another. And if Jesus isn't in the middle, if he's not at the center, man, it can lead to such brokenness and such pain. I'd love to just read a quick prayer um, that my discipleship group, uh, we were praying for our wives last week. We uh, committed to praying for our wives each day for a week, and one of the guys in my group had this little devotional for praying for wives, so he sent them through each day, which was amazing, and this was one of them. And the reason I shared is because when Jesus is at the center, these are the kinds of prayers we pray. I didn't write this, it's not me. Just got sent it and I got to read it and pray it over my wife this week. Is it there? Lord, as much as I love my wife, I know you love her more. I realize that I cannot meet her every need and expectation, but you can. Help my wife to increase her knowledge of you today. May she turn to you first for everything as you become her constant companion. Give her discernment and revelation and enable her to hear your voice instructing her. Help her to stay focused on you, no matter how great the storm is around her, so that she never strays off the path you have for her. I pray you would keep me aware of when she needs a fresh infilling of your spirit, so that I will be prompted to pray for her. Healthy human relationships depend upon a healthy heavenly relationship. I'm going to land this morning with two practical examples, and then we're going to stand, and I'm going to make an opportunity for those who would want to respond to the invitation to Jesus, from Jesus, to come and be made right with him. These examples come from my life, and in consultation with my wife, any smart preacher knows, consult with your wife if you want to preach a good sermon, so that's what I did this week, and um, she allowed me to graciously use a very cool example, which, of which she is the main uh, figure in that example. Um, so I just want to share two quick examples. Disclaimer here, we are not perfect as our light, but we passionately love Jesus. And so it does influence 
our relationships. That influences our relationship towards our kids, our relationship with one another, our relationships to our parents, in the workplace, all of these. I'm just going to share two, one from our marriage and uh, one from my workplace. And I do want to encourage each of us this morning, let these not just be theoretical nice things. Please don't walk out of here just remembering, okay, I need to be connected to Jesus, but I'm already connected to Jesus, so it's okay, all things are going to be fine. It's, that's just not how it works, right? We know that. Connect to Jesus, engage with Him, and then intentionally live that out with those who are around us in whatever way that looks, because it's going to be different for each of us and in each relationship. Okay, so marriage example. I have permission from Jane to share this, right? Okay, she's given permission. That's good. Uh, I got back from work. I was away for work a few weeks ago. I was three nights away. I got back. It was a Thursday evening. Got back quite late. Jen had done her best to stay awake. She had fallen asleep on the couch. Good effort though, babe. Well done. <laughs> it was late, to be fair. And uh, um, we had just a brief moment that evening to connect a bit, and then I was really tired, so we went to bed. Meanwhile, I hadn't actually properly connected, reconnected with my wife relationally. Just being a deeply relational being as she is, I hadn't made the effort to really reconnect after being away. And uh, for some reason, um, if you are a husband, I'll speak for husbands, you probably find this happens. You do things, but you don't know why you do them. And your wife will ask you, why did you do that? And you actually genuinely cannot come up with a reason. You, your mind is blank. No one have that. It's just me. Sorry, babe. Married a unique husband. So I genuinely don't know why, but I didn't... Then, after having this thing, make an intentional effort to reconnect with Jane relationally again. I mean, we've been married a while. should have learned this by now. Anyway, so um, Jane was, was angry. She was not stoked with me, and she kind of kept me at a relational arm's length for a few days. Um, not, yeah, uh, let's just leave it there. Uh, we had a good chat on the Sunday evening, which was really good. So Thursday evening, Sunday evening, kind of repented because I realized what a, a chop my word, I'd been, and uh, said sorry and apologized, and um, sincerely apologized, I thought, I tried. Um, also important thing to learn, by the way, how does your wife hear apologies, husbands, and husband, how does your husband receive apologies? Apparently there's five ways you can do them. I didn't know that, but it's very helpful when you do know that. Um, sure, I'm getting distracted with the story. Okay, arrived home late, didn't connect, Jane wasn't very happy with me. Um, and so I apologized on the Sunday evening, but Jen was still kind of quite offish with me. And then I get home on the Tuesday morning after dropping my boy at school, and um, Jen uh, brings Jen some tea in the morning. She's like, babes, I've forgiven you. I spoke to Jesus, and he gave me the strength to forgive you. And um, it's amazing because... I just didn't even need to say that. I could just feel some of the disposition of how she connected with me and her heart was already soft that something had happened. And she had engaged with Jesus, looked at him before she looked at me. And that softened her heart to then be able to have sweet relationship again. It's because of Jesus that our relationships can be restored. And I'm so grateful for Jesus in our relationship because these moments are going to happen, right? We're sinful, broken people. And thank you, Jesus, that I have a wife that looks to him first before she looks to me. Uh, then a work example. Um, this is quite a sensitive one, and it's difficult to share these things. So I'm going to be as sensitive as I can and as honoring as I can to my previous employers. Um, and I trust that it will be like that. And the reason I want to share this is not because I want to air my laundry or whatever. 
I'm hoping this will give you some courage because I'm quite sure that each of us who are in employment relationships will have tense moments with either those who work for us or those we work for. So my previous job, um, the, the company had basically just grown too fast, which is a great problem to have. But what happens in that case is that usually your structures and processes can't keep up. And then things start getting a bit messy. And so this had happened. And our bosses um, had invited myself and a colleague in to essentially help figure out, hey, what's the way forward? How can we kind of help this organization to grow healthily? So I'd spend late nights preparing and really like being intentional to go and engage, flown up to Joburg to go and engage in this full day kind of workshop thing and really get involved and stuck in, really pumped for it, been praying for it. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, when we got there, the, the reality ended up being quite different from what I'd hoped. And what in essence had happened is my bosses gave us less than half of their focused attention and uh, less than half a day instead of a full day. And uh, ended up turning around to giving us advice about how we could be better instead of receiving any of the thoughts that we had to bring. So it was hard, it was nice. I felt quite disrespected, even felt quite angry with them, um, especially because we'd just gone to such effort. So I don't want to dive too much into that. But it, wasn't, it was not a pleasant experience at all. Um, but when I looked at them through the lens of Jesus, so here's my boss, here's me, here's Ryan, Jesus in the middle, I had to do that because I was hurt. And I was like, Jah. So when I then turned and I looked at my colleague, my boss at the time, through the lens of Jesus, I realized that actually they were doing their best with what they had and what they knew. They were really trying to do their best. They were tired, which they told us, but also they're just sinful men like me. <laughs> What they intended to do and what they executed were two different things. And those had a ramification on me, but they are sinful men, just like me. And so it took prayer and forgiveness and humility for God to soften my heart towards them and to be able to keep serving them and their vision. But it was possible when I could then stop for a moment, lay down my own hurts and actually look at them through the lens of Jesus and soften my heart towards them again. And we still journey together for a number of months still after that. And so I share these two examples hopefully as an encouragement and an application point. That relationship with God really does, if we'll let it, if we'll let him influence our horizontal relationships. Let's stand together and we're going to just respond this morning. Just imagine if... Um, kind of try to paint a bit of a higher picture of relationships also this morning. Imagine if all our relationships were healthy and thriving. We're really killing it. Like it was a joy to be around and filling to be around every person we were around. I'm not saying that's possible in this life, but imagine how different would our reality look. Think even on an economic broad scale, some wars wouldn't be happening if that were the case. A whole lot of really selfish decisions made at high levels which impact millions of lives wouldn't happen if that were the case. And we'd be able to enjoy the wonderful fruit of friendship and relationship with God's made for us. It's a beautiful thing and in Christ it is, it starts to become possible. Things start to change and we can experience the joy of life-giving friendships and relationships with others.